the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, Come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. The gospel of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, One Fellowship. For those of you who don't know, my name is Cody Quinn, and I'm the pastor of Students and Connections here at the church, and I'm so thankful to be able to bring the word to you this morning. So before I begin, let's say a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear from your word, to have you speak to us today. Father, may we be forever changed and to be made more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the title of my sermon today is Man over miracle, man over miracle. And as we begin, let me share a quick story. So as Kelsey and I were dating, uh, her parents decided to sell uh, her childhood home that she had grew up in forever and ever. And they were trying to, they were living in a rental house, trying to decide where to uh, build their new house at. They wanted to build, where were they gonna build at? What type of house did they want to build? What were they going to do? And her dad, Mr. Jamie, just said, hey, I know the perfect property. I know the perfect piece of land that we wanna put our house on. We wanna, I wanna build a log cabin on this beautiful piece of property that I know so well. And as you see this picture, uh, the property looks pretty nice. Um, at the same time, whenever Mr. Jamie took Kelsey and Miss Rhonda out there, Uh, They just weren't sure how a house would fit there. Yeah, the creek is beautiful, um, but how is it actually going to work with all the trees and all this? They just did not see how it was going to work on that property, as beautiful as the creek was and as awesome as that would be. Now, also, there was some concern from family and also people in the community because this is a piece of property. This is some land that always floods. With the creek there, the the Cape Fear River feeds in. It is a flood zone, like floods happen in heavy rain. It's eastern North Carolina, so you know that you're going to get hurricanes from time to time. When uh, and 
And so they just weren't sure how it was gonna go from within the family, from outside the family. They just weren't sure that they could trust Mr. Jamie and his suggestion of putting a house there. But what you don't know is that Mr. Jamie grew up essentially on this piece of property. His, his childhood home was just a few miles down the road. And so this is the place that he always uh, ran around. He always hunted this land. He knew this property. His background is in construction. He used to lead his own construction team, building houses, uh, beach houses and residential houses and all, all various kinds. So he has the background in it as well. And now this is the same area in which they live. He has a farm up the, the road a couple miles this way, a farm up the road a couple miles that way. And so he just knew that was where it should be. He knew that if you went into the woods just a little bit, you would see that the land actually has a natural hill. And if you built up on that hill, built the house higher just a little bit, then it would be fine. That if a flood ever came, that would be the last house that flooded. Everyone else would have to flood before this one. He knew that he could do it. But the people around didn't trust his word. But as you see this picture, they went through with it and built a beautiful log cabin on this property. Kelsey and I got married in the front yard. He's made some improvements. There's a pier that goes out on the creek. He's got a little man hut kind of right there on the creek. We call it a little duck blind, even though you're not going to shoot duck out of it. But it's just a beautiful piece of property, a beautiful house. And we should have trusted his word. Because a few years ago when Hurricane Florence came by, and just wrecked the area, just devastated the area with, with, uh, with rain, the only house that did not flood was the log cabin in that area. It was one of the, the few. It came right up to the bottom of the house, but it never got in the house. We should have trusted his word. The people of the community should have trusted the word that Mr. Jamie was saying. We should have trusted his experience. And something very similar to that is happening in our passage Today, And so as we dive in, the main idea today is that we should believe in the man, not the miracle. Believe in the man and his word, not the miracle. And we'll flesh this out in two points. Point one is going to be misplaced faith. And point two will be saving faith. So let's jump into point one, a misplaced faith. Our scripture begins in John chapter four, verse 43 and reads, after the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So let me set the scene here. Let me share a little context so we see Jesus arriving in Galilee. We see him coming into the town of Cana. And where have we seen this before? We know that this is where the first, his first public miracle took place, turning water into wine. 
And we know that he, once he performed that miracle, he headed out of town for some time. And now he's making his way back in to his hometown, his home region, to his people. And last week we saw that on his journey back to town, he meets a woman at the well. And ultimately we see that he says to her, no matter your past, no matter your present, I know you and I'm for you. And if you did not hear that sermon, you should go back and hear Pastor Paul preach through that from last week. But he continues his journey from the woman at the well and he arrives here in Cana. And now John does something very peculiar here. Uh, He inserts that Jesus himself in verse 44 has pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And so John has set us up to see a rude awakening, a rude welcoming for Jesus as he enters town. But our next verse says something of the opposite. It says that the Galileans welcomed him. I thought there was going to be, I thought he was not going to be welcomed in his hometown, but we see that he is. But if you read a little bit further, you see why. It's not because of Jesus. It's not because of him. It's because of what he has been doing. It's because of the miracles he has been performing. And now the people in his hometown are like, all right, where's mine? Where's mine? What can you do for me? What have you done for me lately? I want mine. What can you do for me and my family? And then we see someone else enter the scene here. We see this royal official, someone of the royal guard of the king, someone who belongs to the king, enters the scene. We know through study that he travels about 15 miles to come and meet Jesus here at Cana. And he begs him to come back with him to heal his son, his son who is close to death. And we see what looks to be a very rude response of Jesus where he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe, which looks pretty insensitive to this man who is in dire needs, who's at the end of his rope. But what we see is that this is not something that is rude. We see Jesus actually calling out the crowd who's following him, and he's actually beginning something new and great in this man's life. You see, he challenges them. He says, hey, I want you guys to believe in me, not what I can do. Believe in me. Kent Hughes says this in regards to the statement and what it means to the royal official. He says, Jesus's penetrating words were not a rebuke, but the beginning of grace in his life. Think about that for a minute. Jesus's penetrating words were not a rebuke, but the beginning of grace in this royal official's life. Jesus was starting something new here, something great in his life, but he called some people out with his statement. But this leads us to this saving faith. What is beginning in this royal official's life? And what is he trying to lead the crowd to as well? And point number two, a saving faith is what he's on to. Our scripture continues in John chapter four. It says, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. 
While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And so after this seemingly rude response from Jesus, which now we know in the right context is actually an invitation to something greater, the royal official responds and he says, hey, no Jesus, seriously. And we see his humanity come out. We see his, his uh, fatherhood come out. He says, hey, Jesus, seriously, my little boy is on his deathbed. Can you please come down and heal him? And Jesus responds, go, your son will live. He does not come down. He does not go to the man's house. He just says, go, your son will live. And what's the response of the official? He believes him at his word and departs. How beautiful is that? He believes him. He takes Jesus at his word and departs. He is believing in the man. But we see that he's so confident that it takes him some time to head home. Now put yourself in his shoes. Okay, you've traveled 15 miles because your little boy is dying. Your child is dying. And now the man who you have trusted to heal your son has said, go, your son's gonna live. Would you dilly-dally around or would you head straight home to hold your child in your arms and say, we have many years left together? I think we would be rushing back home, but we see on his way home, the servant meets him the next day. This miracle took place at 1 p.m. He, even if he was traveling on foot, he could have been home by nightfall, but he's a royal official. We know he's probably traveling by horse, and so he could have been home by, by the end of the day. And yet we see it's the next day when his servants meet him. The royal official was so confident. He took Jesus at his word in such a way that he knew there was no rush to get back home. He knew that his son was, would live and he have many days with him. He didn't rush. He took Jesus at his word. You see, the crisis of his son pointed him to Jesus, took him to Jesus. The miracle that happened pointed him back to Jesus it's all about Jesus. It always has been about Jesus. Never about what he can do, but about who he is. We should believe in the man over the miracle. We should take him at his word. But what does this mean for us? How do we do this? How do we take Jesus at his word with all that's going on, with how hard it can be to, to read and to understand the Bible? How do we take Jesus at his word? I believe one simple step that we can do from, from right now is to recognize our limitations. Recognize your limitations. The royal official was at the end of his rope. The position that he held could do nothing for him. The authority that he held could do nothing for his son. The money that he had couldn't buy anything to heal his son. And where did that lead 
him? Where did his limitations lead him? It led him straight to the one who could heal his son, Jesus. Kent Hughes has this statement, and where you hear me say the term money, you can put anything in there, money, power, authority. But he says this, there are many things money cannot buy or there are many things power cannot give. Money can buy a king-sized bed, but it cannot buy sleep. Money can buy a great house, but it cannot buy a home. Money can buy a companion, but it cannot buy a close friend. Money can buy books, but it cannot buy brains. Money can buy a church building, but it cannot buy entrance into heaven. And as our text suggests, money cannot buy life and health. He was at the end of his rope and that led him to Jesus. May anything we're going through today put us at the end of the rope where we recognize the only thing that can save us, the only thing that can truly help us is Jesus himself. But that's not where our story ends. You see, the miracle of the story is much bigger than the child being healed. As awesome as that is, the miracle of the story is much bigger than the child being healed. It's about this family, this household being saved. Our text ends as the household, the whole household, believing and being saved. You see, as you choose to trust in Jesus and what he says, a greater miracle can happen in your life and in the life of those around you, salvation. As much as we want to see miracles of healing and blessing and prosperity in our life, the greatest miracle that could ever take place is being redeemed for our sins, is being forgiven for our transgressions, is being covered by what Christ did on the cross, is being saved. You see the good things in our life, the miracles, and the bad things in life, our crises, they all point us to one thing or to one person, Jesus. May we trust him in the midst of the good and the bad, not for what he can do, but for who he is for us. As our main idea says, may we believe in the man, not the miracles. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much We are so undeserving of this opportunity to meet you. We are so undeserving of uh, the chance of a miracle. But as we know, each breath is a miracle. Each second is a miracle. Father, may we learn to trust in you, the person, not in what you can do for us, let us get away from the mindset of what have you done for us lately and instead move to the mindset of Jesus, all I want is you because all I need is you. Father, thank you for going on the cross so that we could have a chance to meet you, so that we could have a chance in this life to live and to love. Father, may we be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray, amen.